Okay, so today we are continuing on the Christmas theme um, or the, the Advent season focus of looking at a Christmas song or a Christmas hymn or a carol and considering what scripture is behind the song. And um, actually all the songs, uh, the, the, the one we just sang, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, that was the, or Angels We Have Heard on High, that was the song that I chose for today. Um, but actually all the songs have really tied into that. They've all spoken of the, the host of angels singing about the newborn king, um, the Messiah and uh, Jesus' birth and, and how God deserves glory. And I think, um, you know, uh, that it's all pointing to this story in Luke chapter 2. And so if you've got your Bibles there, you can open up there. But um, the reason we're doing this this Christmas season is because we want to not just sing these songs year after year without figuring out the meaning behind them, without figuring out the scripture that, that really is the foundation for them. And, and my hope is that as we sing these songs more and more in the years to come, we'd be reminded of the scriptures that are behind them, that we'd be reminded that the, these are actually just songs about um, our Savior. They're songs about real life stuff that happened. And um, hopefully we find some connection to our own lives through them, that we'd be reminded um, of that through these songs. And so if you didn't know what Gloria in Excelsis Deo means, <laughs> which I, I um, kind of figured it had something to do with God, Deo is God and glory and this sort of thing. Um, I looked it up in the Lat Latin Vulgate. I don't even know if that's even how you pronounce it. Someone might correct me. But that is, um, that's the, the, the first um, line uh, out of Luke 2.14 which starts out saying, glory to God in the highest, right? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests, right? So Luke 2.14, there you go. There's a pretty solid connection right there of the, the song that we sing year after year at Christmas time, glory to God in the highest. And that's what the angels, the, the choir of angels, the host of angels that show up to the shepherds, that's, that's the song that they're singing to Jesus um, or, or singing to God about the thing that he's done in sending his son Jesus to earth. And so we're going to open up to chapter two. We're going to look at this passage, but it's in this passage that we see Joseph and Mary. Um, I'm, I'm just going to summarize it a little bit. Joseph and Mary are returning to Bethlehem from Nazareth and um, they're registering their name in the town of their ancestors, right? Joseph is of, of the house of David, King David, and so he has to go to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, and he registers um, himself there. And so while they're there, the time comes for Jesus to be born, and um, Jesus is wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger, and the story is this story is sort of typical of a humble, um, you know, Middle Eastern village-style birth suite, you know. <laughs> there's, there's a manger that was pretty, pretty practical, nice spot to put your baby in a comfortable um, place. And uh, the, the homes of those days were set up in that the lower end of the home had, had one door in it that, that uh, you know, the people who lived there, the family that lived there would enter in, but also the animals would be locked up through that door at night inside the home. And then you've got some stairs up to the main living area. And in that living area, you had um, the manger where you could put food for the animals. And sometimes it was just a hollowed out sort of hole in the ground, um, unless they had something made of timber that they would put down where the animals are. And so Jesus was probably placed in something like that of a feeding trough for the animals, put some hay in there, nice comfy bed for the baby. 
And um, this was pretty typical, you know. It was like Middle Eastern peasant style, um, you know, birth suite. You know, in the family home, the, the men were probably all kicked out and there was probably women from the village who were, who were there helping out, doing what they could do, especially for someone from the line of David, you know, in the town of David. There, there was probably the town midwife there helping out. And, you know, um, I think the usual Christmas narrative we get is they were just rejected, but it's, I don't think that's very likely, you know, <laughs> rejected and made to to birth their child in the stable, probably not likely for this, for Joseph in, in his hometown, in the town of um, the city of David. And so here they are, no guest room available, probably means um, the town is packed for the census and the guest rooms that are attached to the, um, to the homes, the family homes, they probably had someone already in there. So they're literally in the family home, maybe of a relative or a friend, and they're all there and Jesus is born on that um, night in Bethlehem. And he was born just as every um, villager was born, just as every uh, sort of lowly Jewish person may have been born. That's how Jesus was born. Out in the fields nearby, some shepherds attending to their flocks, and um, an angel of God shows up, and, and God's glory is shining around them. And of course, they're fearing for their lives because they know they're not the most religiously clean people, right? They... Um, you know, if, if God's messenger showed up, they kind of feel like they're of common nature and the messenger of God is, is a bit too far out of reach. And yet he shows up and he tells them a message, right? Um, they, they probably expected this would happen to someone who was a bit more religiously perfect, a bit more religiously um, clean and, and uh, maybe had a higher lifestyle than them, you know, living out in the fields, wandering about in a bit of a rough lifestyle. But... After being reassured of the, the angel's presence is not to bring judgment, but rather good news, what is being announced to them starts to sink in, right? The, the angel has showed up and said a Messiah is born in the city of David, right, in Bethlehem. And he's wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger, right? Probably not what they expected to hear about the Messiah's birth. They're, they're going, hold on, the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. We probably thought he would have been in in Jerusalem, in, in some fancy place, you know, something um, due to like being, being of royalty or, or, or the line of David and instead here he is, he's not in a palace, he's in a humble villager's home, um, wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger. And so this is what they're hearing and uh, what they're hearing sort of starts to sink in and then some angels show up, more angels show up, and they start singing Gloria in Excelsis Deo. I don't think they spoke Latin. I don't know uh, what, what it would have sounded like, but it would have been pretty amazing. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. In verse 15 it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, it says in verse 16, and there's, that's no exaggeration, right? They immediately, it's like they just dropped everything. We've got to go see. This is so amazing. And they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And that's pretty much the end of the story there for us today. And as I've thought about this, considered what it means, you know, I I kind of laboured over it thinking, oh gee, it just feels like I'm just telling a story that everyone already knows about. What is the point of this for us today, God? And I think there's a couple of conclusions I've drawn. The first one is that Jesus comes to common people, right? Jesus comes to common people, common everyday people. Jesus' birth is announced by the angels to shepherds out in the fields, you know, and these are not considered to be anyone special in the big scheme of the Jewish hierarchy of, of Jewish life. You know, to be a shepherd by trade meant that you're living a bit of a rough life. You're kind of like a cowboy out in the fields, you know, and it's, um, it's like a, a rough lifestyle. The nature of their work keeps them from being cer- ceremoniously, sorry, ceremonially uh, clean according to the Jewish laws. And that meant a lot to religious people, a nation that was, you know, um, all about the religion of their God. And so they had a reputation, these shepherds of, you know, traveling about the countryside, probably, um, you know, thieving and just getting into mischief. And this sort of thing was, was who these shepherds were stereotyped to be like. You know, they weren't even allowed to give testimony in court if you're a shepherd. Okay, so you can imagine this is, these are some common sort of um, uh, people that, aren't the usual type of people that you'd imagine God would show up to and say, hey, I'm here, you know, and here they are out in the field, the angels show up, and there's no saying these, these particular shepherds were, you know, <laughs> terrible people or anything like that, but um, you can see that in Jesus' arrival, the fact that these three shepherds were notified and that they were of the first people to see the saviour of the world in the flesh, you know, um, it shouldn't go unnoticed. I think that was the first point that God was sort of giving me about this. It shouldn't go unnoticed that this, that this happened and this occurred in this way. The idea that Jesus' arrival occurred in and through the lives of common people carries significance because never in a million years would the shepherds have considered themselves worthy of that. And yet here it is, a personal invitation to come and see the Messiah for themselves. You know, and that would have, you could imagine as they go about telling everyone how, how serious that would have seemed for people to, these shepherds don't normally do that sort of thing. They don't even normally show interest in religious things. And here Jesus is having them run about telling, telling them about um, his birth. They never would have imagined that God would have shown up in their lives out in the fields. You know, God's presence is in the temple Okay, and here, here he is showing up in their lives, inviting them to be part of the story that brings salvation to the world. You know, and yet um, this actually seems to be the pattern throughout Scripture, isn't it? You know, he takes people who are lowly, despised, outcast, um, you know, on the edges, not in the centre of religious life, and he uses them. You know, Joseph being beat up by his brothers and sold to Egypt. And then God uses him to save his family and save God's people. You know, Abraham and Sarah, when they're, when they're old in life, getting on in years, you know, they're the, they're the family chosen to be used by God. David, the shepherd boy out in the fields, all his brothers were considered first, but God said, no, I'm going to choose David. You know, and I think of Moses as well, just being, being set out in the basket in, in the river, you know, and yet he's the one that gets gets um, saved and, and, and saves God's people. And so all, all throughout Scripture, these, 
you know, I'm, I'm thinking of Paul as well. Paul, who was Saul, the terrorist. You know, God uses these people that you'd never expect. These, these, uh, these uh, common people that just fly under the radar and then all of a sudden here they are. God's using them to bring about his purposes. And so God not only shows up in the lives of common people, Right, but he incorporates them into his plans and purposes. He invites them to see what he has done and he invites them to be part of what he is doing. And I believe part of what we need to grasp out of today, whether we like to admit it or not, whatever is common and ordinary about our lives is quite okay and it's normal and it's good. And God is probably working in that space more than we realize, yeah? And so God doesn't need us to have some sort of special life to be used by him. God um, doesn't want us to be exceptionally uncommon, you know, all the time. He doesn't need us to stand out. We can just be the run-of-the-mill common people, everyday um, happenings of life, and he incorporates his, his plans and purposes into our lives, or he incorporates our plans and purposes into his plans and purposes, if you like. You know, and that's what this story is showing me. God works through the mundane things, the things that we just have to do. Maybe you felt like you'd normally be overlooked or you probably don't have what it takes to participate in something that God is doing, then, you know, that's not probably the right message that you're hearing, right? God's message is, um, I want to work through, you know, the everyday common things of your life. You don't have to be exceptional to be used by God. Now, the next part of the story which fascinates me and sort of was the second thing that really reinforces and highlights the point I'm trying to make is that Joseph and Mary probably weren't planning on having the baby in Bethlehem, right? Sure, they probably figured, oh, gee, we've got to go up to Bethlehem for the census. You know, we're, we're about to pop with this baby. What's, what's going to happen? You know, it might happen on the way. It might happen when we get there. We'll have to just see what happens, you know, but they probably weren't planning on it. They probably had a birth suite booked in Nazareth, um, the, the midwife in that town all sorted, ready to go, <clears throat> and yet here it was. They're on their way to Bethlehem, and um, it was because, you know, God's timing in this is pretty amazing, right? They had to go to Bethlehem. Jesus had to be born there to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy that um, the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. We've seen that through the Old Testament. They had to be there. But the way it happened was a Roman emperor, many miles removed from Jewish, um, you know, desires for a Messiah to be born in Bethlehem and many miles removed from <clears throat> Mary and Joseph's story and the things that are happening there, he orders a decree, all right, everyone, every Jew has to go to their um, hometown and uh, register in the census, right? And so that's the thing that motivated them to go. And that's what made Jesus born in Bethlehem. <laughs> Right, and fulfilling the prophecy. And so it was this very normal, mundane, necessary, common thing like, oh, the government's told us we've had to do this um, and so we better do it. And here it is, God's working his plans and purposes in and through that requirement. And it's a pretty interesting thing. I'm not making any connection to COVID requirements, by the way, there. <laughs> but you can read into that as you will <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. But... Um, you know, God working through the mundane, just the, these things that we just have to do day in, day out, or this, this stuff that doesn't seem important to God, and yet he's orchestrating all the timing of all these things in order to use us and, and bring us into his plans and purposes. 
Joseph was probably frustrated to think that, oh, gee, I've got to take my pregnant wife all the way up to Bethlehem. It was quite the journey, you know, getting all the way up there. I don't know who's going to have room for us when we get there. He couldn't phone ahead. You know, this sort of stuff was probably running through his mind, and yet he just went anyway, and um, it was part of God's plan. And so I think in a day and age when we're asked to carry out the mundane tasks of life, you know, especially when everything seems so cool on Instagram and, and Facebook, I know some of our younger people are probably more aware of that stuff, that pressure we feel to look cool and, and make it look like our life is just, you know, never a dull moment and, um, you know, look at this cool breakfast I had and now look at this cool shirt that I bought and now look at this cool thing that I'm doing today and look at my holidays and look at my Christmas and look at this and look at that and I'm so, you know, my life is so uncommon and different and individual. It's like, no, there's actually um, a lot that God can do through through the other side of life, you know, through the everyday, common, necessary things that we have to do. And I think we ought to take some encouragement from this, you know, that as God's people, when we're in the mundane, ordinary stuff, we're still living in the plans and purposes of God. It doesn't have to look amazing or exceptional for it to be God's purpose. So I wonder how you're feeling about the everyday things in your life at the moment. You know, I'm feeling as though God wants to encourage us just to keep pushing through the mundane tasks, things that are necessary and yet seem boring. We cannot underestimate what God is doing in and through our lives in that stuff, in that space, in the, in the non-Instagram world, <laughs> okay? And so I got two two stories that I want to share about my own journey, which sort of relate to this idea of just things that happened that just seemed like, oh, well, that's just the way it went by. Very common, natural decisions that were made that actually had a very big impact on my life. And so the first one is when I was coming to the end of my final year of high school, I was at trade college, still got my year 12 certificate, but the um, army uh, came to our school and they were just advertising career opportunities. And I was nearly halfway through my apprenticeship and I thought, oh man, I'd love to do carpentry in the army. My dad was in the army. I thought it looked like a pretty cool career. I I heard about, um, you know, that you could transition from carpentry in the army to being a combat engineer. And I was like, man, that sounds cool. Let's blow up stuff. It'll be great, you know. (laughs) Just young teenage guy thinking that'll be a great, great idea. And and so I get home all excited. Mum, dad, I'm going to join the army. Um, yeah, I'm going to finish my trade because I knew that was an important thing. For my dad, he said, look, he, he had been in the army. Um, he said, if you're going to join the army, you need to do a trade, right? So that when you leave the army, you can have something to do, you know, for a job, which he, he didn't do. He joined the infantry, spent, I think, 25 years or something in the infantry and um, got out without, you know, anything else to do afterwards. And so he, um, he was like... I'm fine if you want to do that, but this is, this is my requirement for you. You have to, have to have a trade. I was like, okay. Well, the only thing I want to do is carpentry because I'm like nearly halfway through it. And so I call up the enlistment office in uh, Brisbane and I say, this is what I want to do. I've just had your career people out. I want to join. I want to do carpentry. And they said, oh, look, I'm real sorry. You've missed the boat by about a month. Um, you know, that's a figure of speech. There was no boat, but <laughs> you've missed the intake for this year by about a month for the carpentry apprenticeships. We only had 12 going this year, and I'm sorry you missed out. Oh, gee, that's a shame. 
I go home and I'm just like feeling, oh, I should just join anyway, you know, <laughs> just go into the infantry. I can transition back into a carpentry apprenticeship next year, all this sort of stuff. I decided not to because of the decision dad had made, you know, and um, at the time I was probably pretty annoyed about that. I thought, oh man, what does he know, you know, <laughs> like, uh, like some young people might do. And, um, and so here I was just sticking out my apprenticeship, but it was the year after. So the year after I graduated, um, that was where I experienced my calling into ministry, started serving at my youth group, and um, God just, yeah, just touched my life in that year after, and I could have been on some army base, you know, just thinking this will be a great career, you know, and I just think, man, every day, ordinary decision that my dad made, nah, look, it's, it's better if you do an apprenticeship and I didn't want to give up carpentry. And so you, can you see that ordinary happenings of life? God's just all over it, orchestrating it, you know? And so um, that's the first story. Gee whiz, I hope I get through the next one all right. Um, the, the next one is, um, let's see, I was part of the youth group at Hills Church. Um, this is going back to 2008. Same year, actually, 2008. I was um, in my last year of high school and a friend in the church, Dave Power, Dave and Karen Power, some of you might know who they are. Dave said, oh, I'm going out to um, Gainda on a hunting trip. Do you want to come? Oh, your, bro- your brother can come. And, and my friend Matt Lewin came with me as well. And we were like, yeah, we want to come on a hunting trip. This will be awesome. You know, where are we going? Oh, we're going to a place called Gainda. I've got some friends there. Oh, okay. Um, sweet. That'll, that'll be cool. I've never been to Gainda before. And so um, we stay at Boyd and Linda's place. Their son, Milton, was best friends with Dave Power. That was all the connection at the time. I didn't know who Jade was at this time. I didn't know her family. We had a great weekend. I ate, like, um, you know, fried rabbit that we'd, that we'd hunted, and it was just, like, a cool, cool thing, cool weekend. And um, I went to my first service at Gainda Wesleyan Methodist Church there. And no doubt, my mother-in-law, um, she was probably there that day. I don't think I spoke to her or even noticed her. Um, Jade wasn't. She was living, I think, in Brisbane or Toowoomba at this time, probably Toowoomba, actually. We didn't really know each other. Um, and so, yeah, that was my introduction to Gainda, which little did I know turned out to be a big part of my life, you know, in the coming years. And yet it was just an ordinary weekend away with some mates um, from church. And so... The other thing is, the other side of that coin, Jade's introduction to Gainda was that um, her family moved there when she was just starting grade nine, and uh, they bought some property and were building a house there, and she started going to the high school there, and their first Sunday at Gainda Wesleyan Church was the last Sunday of the previous pastor before me, right? So she was in grade nine. And she remembers being there in that service and thinking, oh, gee, we've rocked up and the pastor's leaving and what's going on here, you know, and, um, and they were praying for a new pastor. And none of them knew that the next pastor would be her future husband, you know, because she's the teenager in the back row, you know, new family, this sort of thing. And, um, and I, at the time, was a 13-year-old kid in Brisbane at some Baptist church on the north side of Brisbane and uh, just experiencing faith for myself and just figuring out what it means to be part of youth group and, and enjoying church and reading the Bible. And they're praying for me and I didn't know it. And um, 
Isn't that cool how just this ordinary stuff that happens where Jade's family moving to Gander because they had a dream to own some property, um, you know, God's just bringing everyone into the right place for his plans and purposes to be achieved. And so, um, where am I at with that story? Um, I feel like I'm missing a point. So, yeah, 13-year-old me in Brisbane in a Baptist church. I actually got baptised that year. I wonder if the prayers of the people in Gainda were just bringing me close to Jesus that year, you know? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Just ordinary stuff happening in the life of the church and in other people's lives, completely removed from me, and God's just moving in my life in that way. And the decision of Jade's family to move to Gainda, you know, the connections that Hills Church had with Gainda through friends and family. Some of it was mundane, just normal happenings of life, common stuff, but God was working through it in my life. God had his hand on it, right? And his, his will was all over it. And I wonder, um, you know, so 12 years after uh, that year that their pastor left, Jade and I moved, 2015, right? And we're there um, pastoring the church. So it was a big gap, but they had no idea in that time what was going on, what God was doing, how their prayers for a new pastor was preparing me probably preventing me from joining the army and doing all of this stuff. Um, It's amazing. And so I wonder about your life now, you know, the the common everyday things that are happening, your relationships, the decisions that you're making, you know, big and small for yourself, um, for others in your life, the decisions you're making for your children, the decisions you're making because of the wisdom that others have, you know, like what my dad shared, oh, don't join the army without getting a trade, you know, um, and who knows, if I did, regardless, it probably would have been fine. God, God has his way of using people in different ways, but the decisions we're making because of love, you know, like when I um, chose to, you know, build a relationship with Jade and start dating her, the decisions we made together, God's just got his hand over that. It's just this common thing that we're, we're going through as young, young adults, decisions we're making because of career and employment, decisions we're making because of the things we enjoy doing, just going out for a, a weekend hunting with some mates and a guy from church. All of that stuff is within God's hands, within his grasp. You know, the mundane, some, not all that some mundane, but just the common everyday stuff, all of it is, is within God's hands. He's, he's got a purpose and a plan. He's working through all of it. And so I wonder, what would God be doing in your life? And I, and I think of, um, you know, the, the young people we have sitting there. And I wonder, who's praying for you guys? You know? I wonder about my own kids and who's praying for them, you know? And I wonder who we could be praying for. And I wonder um, who are we helping to guide in life and how is God working through all of these uh, experiences that we have? So we need to pray and we need to... Ask God to, um, yeah, help. I feel like, uh, you know, some of us, there might be some who are particularly worried about a big decision you're making. 
You know, it's going to affect a lot of people. And I feel like God's just saying, don't worry. You know, like that scripture that says, seek after the kingdom of God, you know. There's no need to worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll wear, where you'll go. I don't know exactly how it says, but God's saying, man, I care for you much more than these things, you know. And um, so seek after the kingdom of God. Spend time considering what's your will, God. And, and then don't worry about the decision you have to make. It's almost like you can't go wrong, you know, when God's hand is over these things. You know, and some of our young people, I know a big question when you get to high school camp is, oh, is that person the one God wants me to date? You know, <laughs> these sorts of things. And, um, and it's almost like you, you can't really get it wrong. You know, if you're seeking after God first, you can't get it wrong in, in, in some ways. You know, there's a sense in which you can't mess up your, your life when you're seeking after God's, God's hand because he's, um, and, and his kingdom because he's in control of it all, you know, and he's leading and guiding you. And so I just, I don't know, I think this stuff sounds pretty cool for us as a church, um, you know, reflecting on it. Some, some days you rock up and you think, oh, this person's not here and look, we're small in number and this sort of thing. But man, the powerful things God is doing in the common, everyday, mundane, week in, week out, day in, day out stuff. It's really important. So let's, um, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this uh, story and thank you for the way that you worked in my life. And I just want to um, pray for each one of us here now and those who aren't here and just recognize that, um, man, your story of salvation, you're still incorporating us into it, despite how mundane and boring and day in, day out and week in, week out our lives are. I just ask that you'd um, show us uh, or, or even, even remind us of things in our past, stories that we might have, testimonies that we might have of your hand leading and guiding that we could, you know, maybe things that didn't make sense at the time, we look back on and we go, wow, it makes sense now. And for any of us who are worried about the future, worried about, um, you know, how things are going to work out, I pray that you'd give us a sense of peace today, you know, and that we'd be able to say, you know, I'm not going to worry, I'm just going just gonna to come to you, God, I'm going to give you... Um, you know, all the glory for the things that have happened. I'm going to trust that, um, you know, if I seek after your kingdom, everything will just be, every need will be met. And I just pray that for us, Lord, today. Continue to lead us and guide us as a church, God, corporately. Lead us and guide us in individually. Help us to see your, your plans and, and your purposes unfold in our lives. And, um, Father, the fear of, like, missing out on something that's, that's great or the fear of, um, you know, not having, uh, you know, a cool life or uh, an Instagram type of cool life. I pray that that would be removed from us, particularly our young people wouldn't be worried about it. Yeah, and and um, some of us older ones who, who are still concerned about the way our lives appear to others, I pray that you'd remove that um, worry and concern off of us, God, that we'd just be focused on the things you're doing in the mundane, everyday things of life and give us boldness in that trust that we can have that you're leading and guiding. So we, we bring all of this, Lord, to you in, in your precious name. We thank you that all things are in your hands and we bring glory to you today because of that. We pray in your name. Amen.